Under Center podcast. Hello and welcome to the Under Center podcast. I am your host for today, Fionn Malloy, joined as always by Dara and Jake. And as is typical with this show, if I'm the one hosting, that usually means only one thing. And that means we're talking about the Washington Commanders. And we are privileged and delighted to be joined by head coach of the Washington Commanders, Ron Rivera. Ron, thanks a million for your time and welcome to the show. No, thanks, Fiona. It's good to be on with uh, with, with you and Dara and Jake. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of neat. It's a heck of an experience. Thank you. Yes. And it's quite timely as well, because you were just telling us off air you have a trip planned to come over to the Emerald Isles. So you're obviously looking for the cheeky Ian in terms of uh, travel planning and, and beauty spots to hit up while you're over here. Oh, yeah, most certainly. In fact, my uh, my wife pretty much has all the uh, all the information. But, you know, we're going to play Old Head, Waterville, Hogshead, Tralee, Valley Bunyan, Port Marnock, European Club, and then we'll depart. Um, you know, and, and, and we really do look forward to it. I mean, I, mean, um, I was with the uh, Chicago Bears back in uh, 1997 when we played a, a preseason game there against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And uh, it was really a neat, a really neat experience. It really was. Well, we have some beautiful courses over here. Absolutely. And I hope, you're, <laughs> I hope you're good at playing in the wind because a lot of these American <laughs> courses we see on the PGA Tour are not very windy. A lot of air courses are Lynx courses. So I hope your wind game, your iron game is pretty strong. <laughs> Well, I know this much. Um, it's there. <laughs> and also, Rob, I'll give you a little tip. Even though it's July, you'll be here. It could still rain anytime you're in Ireland out and about. So I would always pack something for the rain. No, believe me, we, we, we will pack. We, we've heard. We've been warned. We well, Heck, we watched it on TV, you know. So uh, we most certainly do look forward to it. It might go from 25 degrees Celsius to 10 degrees and really, really rainy in an instant. Oh boy. Well, I look forward to it. I really do, Jake. It, it, you know, to me, it's about the experience of, of getting an opportunity yeah. to play golf in, in one of the one of the more beautiful countries in this world. I, and I really do mean that because the one thing I do remember about being in Ireland uh, back in 1997 was everything was so green and lush. It was beautiful. It really was. Certainly. And it, and it still is. And we would recommend as well, while you're in Dublin, check out Crow Park as well. It's been really modernized since the last time you were there. Really? You get a chance to go. It's our, obviously our national sports uh, Gaelic football and hurling are, are hosted there. It's the primary stadium. So if you get a chance, there's an, a brilliant museum there. I know you're probably a, a big sports guy, so you get a kind of a sense of the Irish sports we have. But it, it's okay. really cool. Well, you know, I do know this. When we were there, when we played, uh, we got a chance to watch a, uh, a uh, rugby match. Yeah. And the one thing I will say is the Irish fans get into it. They sit down, they lean up against that, that bar that's there, and they drink their beer and they sing and enjoy the game. It, it was a lot of fun. It really was. Absolutely. It's a pity. I don't I don't know if there'll be any games around while you're over. I know you were, as you're saying, you're pretty pretty playing golf, but if you get a chance to go and see any of the, the native games, the hurling or the football, highly recommend while you're over. And of course, uh, we were talking off air. As we say over here, you're a little bit of a scooper, I think. You enjoy, enjoy a point here or there. And yes. the Guinness Storehouse, of course. It's it's a bit cliche, but they do a fantastic uh, visitor experience. So I think we definitely really recommend experience. you go and see that while you're over as well. It's probably no, one of not. the nicest places in Dublin to have a pint because you overlook the entire city. It's actually really nice at the top. And it's called the Guinness Experience? Guinness, Guinness Storehouse. Store yeah. The Guinness Storehouse. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Well, Google everything in Dublin, anything in Ireland. If you Google it, it'll point you towards a Guinness at, at some stage. So if you Google it, you should come up with the right links to get right. to get booked in there. But it's fantastic. 
Cool. Anyway, you don't, have, you don't have to worry either, uh, Ron. You have three tour guides here now for your, for your next couple of weeks. So anything, all it is is a text or an email away, and we can probably give you all the best spots to get to see while you're over here for sure. Well, cool. I look forward to it, fellas. But anyway, we aren't a travel podcast. We are an American football <laughs> podcast. Uh, and I wanted to start, Ron, with something very interesting that not many other head coaches have had ever in their experience. And that was the renaming that Washington went through over the course of the last couple of years. Very interesting. Not an experience a lot of people have. Uh, obviously, every head coach comes in. They want to put their stamp in terms of the culture of the team on their team. How did you find this kind of unique experience of having a very literal culture change in terms of the name and the logos and the standards that was right. in Washington? I think the really neat thing about being able to do that is exactly what you said. We had a chance to, to, to change who we are uh, and step away from some of the negativity that we've been dealing with. So when we became the, Was um, the Washington football team, you know, that was that was our first step. And, and it was kind of unique to us. Uh, I think the guys really enjoyed it. It was a little bit different. Uh, one thing for us that, that was unique was it was an opportunity to, to, to kind of rebrand ourselves. And then as we prepared for the next one, the commanders, that was even a bigger uh, celebration because it was going to become our permanent name. And so this organization, our business side, Jason Wright and the folks, they went and did a really deep dive, a, a big time dive. Um, you know, we had <clears throat> we had, a, you know, probably about 100,000 submissions from people that were telling us, hey, become this team or rename it to this team. So they took a look at a lot of those and they seriously considered a lot of them. And they came up with a list, I, I guess, somewhere around 10,000, 15,000 of them that they vetted and looked at. And then they got that list down to a, a few thousand. They got that list down to a couple hundred. And then they got that list down to about 50. And then they really started to, to, to peel away. And then they gave uh, the players and myself, uh, some of the other coaches, some of the alumni, an opportunity to have a big voice in this. And it was really kind of a unique experience. And, and I think it went well. I, I think we've grasped onto the name, the commanders, <clears throat> and the community has reacted very nicely, which is also a big deal for us. And Coach, um, were you? did you have much of a, an involvement in the name process yourself? Or are you more focused on the player side of things? Um, I didn't get into it until they, they limited it. Um, and it was, it was a really cool thing when they limited it because what happened more so than anything else I got the reasoning why these names were, were on the list. That was probably the most important thing. That's really good. I I, I was a fan of the Red Wolves name because of the, I think there was a, a an Air Force kind of mm -hmm. troop about that. And I thought that was a good name, but uh, <laughs> the commanders I can get behind too. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the, the thing about every name was, you know, we had to vet them um, on the financial side as well to find out where it stood in terms of who owned the rights to it. Mm -hmm. And so some of the teams would have become a big legal battle for us and would have probably cost the team more money than, 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 than it really needed to be. So that's why some teams got eliminated because you've got to take this dive, find out who owns the rights to it. And then if you want to get it away from them, you're going to have to pay you know, full price or you got to come in some sort of financial agreement. So that was some of the things that we had to really take a look at. But Ron, I forgot to give you a little bit of background of the guys here. So you might spot over the back of uh, Dara's shoulder there. He's a Seattle Seahawks fan. He's got a, a couple of Seattle jerseys in there behind him. Jake, unfortunately, is a New York Giants fan. So 
Feel free to ignore any of his questions for the rest of the interview. No, I, I was a little concerned because I thought maybe Dara was a little little sloppy with the, uh, the, the 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 litter in the background. You know, I, just that, but, yeah. and then I, I, I saw Jake's thing, and I was a little concerned. I thought maybe Jake had dropped something there and you know, he it up a bit. No, I see. Now I see. I see the Manning. I see the Manning. And then I actually am a Washington Commanders fan, so I, I apologize. I may call it. I may say we during the course of the interview. Of right. course, everyone knows we're over here. We like to be really involved as fans, so uh, well, I make sure to say we. Well, I'm gonna tell you this, Fiona. You're gonna be the one that gets the best gifts from me. Yes, oh, I, was, no. I, haven't, I haven't managed to nab any of the, the commanders' uh, branded logo stuff, so uh, that's okay. why I don't have any repping at the moment. So well, we, it's it's I'll coming. That out. What size? What size do I need to know? Uh, medium. Okay, me. Oh, you'll be easy. I won't worry about the yeah. other two. <laughs> yeah, make sure they, they don't need anything. They're okay. They're I'll okay. take anything I can put on the wall behind me. It's fine. <laughs> I'm glad every man has a price. <laughs> uh, Mine is well, very well, low, it seems. We're, we're, we're only the bigger lads because we, we, we actually all play on the same team together. Oh, really? Um, called mm -hmm. the North Dublin Pirates. Um, oh, okay. Fionn is our uh, defensive guru slash safe, star safety. Uh, okay. Jake is our uh, running back, and I'm our, I would be defensive tackle. I was going to say star, but I'm not. I'm not that sort of you know. <laughs> I'm not that way. I'll let the other lads say oh. that. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's the origin actually of the show uh -huh. is we all decide we all talked football at training. We said, hey, let's put a mic in front of it and see if anyone will listen. Well, that's um, cool. No, that, that really is. I tell you. So so, what's the hardest thing that you guys have found that that as far as that's concerned, as far as playing the game? Well, for us, it's kind of um, a lot of the teams over here struggle to get some players. So a lot of time we end up with 15 dudes on the field or at training and stuff. So you end up playing both sides of the ball quite a bit. So you might get a lot tired. A lot of players get gassed kind of early because you have to play offense, then defense and special teams all together in one. I think obviously as well, we, we have to pay for the privilege of playing American football, which we love to do, but it does also mean we have, we all have jobs. So getting kind of training down and getting training sessions in is, is really tricky. So I think that's one of the big, the big problems, but we all love them. And there's a really strong following over here. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's growing. It's one of Ireland's fastest growing sports. It's still small, okay. but it gets bigger every single year. Well, but it's good to hear. It is. We're going to dive in now and, Ron, thank you very much for your time because in doing our research for this, we realized obviously the OTAs are over and we're about to, I believe your mini camp started today. Am I right? So Yeah. In fact, we just finished our first session. It went very well. thought our, our guys had, had a good uh, a good practice today and uh, looking forward to, to things picking up where we left off tomorrow. Excellent. Um, and one question I wanted to ask you, obviously the rosters are a lot bigger now sure. than they are at the end of the season. You would have obviously gone through the draft process and a lot of uh, – undrafted free agents and stuff will be signed to teams. When does the assessment process start for you? Do you give them their OTAs to get their feet underneath them, yeah. get used to the pro game, and then get into kind of assessments in minicamp? Or does assessment really start from day one? Well, the minicamp is, is very big for you. I mean, it does start day one, but but minicamp is really big because that to, to, to us as coaches is the culmination of the 10 practices or nine practices that you have prior to minicamp. You put all your installations in. You go through all your your, your drills, your um, your practices. Now, what you want to do? You want to stress them during these three practices and really see where they are. What have they learned? What do they do? How have they grown? Um, are they still making the same mistakes? 
Have they improved from those mistakes? Those are all the questions that we have to get answered to find out if we're ready to move to the next level. So um, this is a very important three-day camp for us because it is going to tell us a lot as to who's coming to camp because some of these guys, you know, you may trade out for somebody else just saying he wasn't ready and we don't think he's going to be ready. So you, you have to really go through this and look at these things. And coach, at, at this point of the season, you have the 90-man roster and you got to cut down then to whatever, the 50, 51-man or whatever. Um, obviously, unfortunate part of this kind of sport is it can be a lot of injuries, especially when you have such a large gathering. You're all doing training probably for the first time after the off-season. What do you as a coach do to kind of maybe not prevent it, but encourage your players to do a bit more conditioning or stretching? Or how do you kind of influence that? Well, I think the biggest thing, Jake, is, is, is right now, this is all about the developmental and and growth of a player um physically and athletically in terms of you know he's he's doing the lifting program he's doing the conditioning program what you always are concerned about is going to be that break there's a four and a half week break before we start training camp and you don't want them to lose what they worked on so you ask them hey guys we're going to send you home and when we do send you home we're going to give you the workout program there's a way you can stick to this you you know to, to keep yourself prepared and ready to go and that's always one of the biggest concerns we have as coaches. So, you know, we try to make sure, Jake, that these guys don't take too long of a break before they get back to work so that when we show up, uh, you know, we can hit the ground running with guys ready to practice and ready to, uh, to, to give us a good effort. And with that four-week break, um, Coach, do you do you yourself like to keep in contact with as many players as possible? Like, for example, when we went through the sort of, you know, OTAs and stuff during the pandemic where it was all – virtually based would you still sort of have these zoom sessions with the players and stuff to uh yeah keep in touch with them we did you know there, there's certain times of year that we are allowed to contact with them and talk football and, and that's really during the, the the ota program it's when you start that off-season workout scheduling you know uh, that starts in april middle of april all the way up to to now you know when we were in the pandemic all we could do is zoom with them and talk with them now, we can talk to them any time, but we can't get specifically involved with football. So there's that window of about two and a half months that we are allowed to interact with our players and really dig deep a little bit about football and go through those discussions. But once you get to that point, you can't. So now when we go on that four and a half, five week break, they'll get an occasional you know text message from us to say, hey, just checking in. Hope everything's going well. But we can't get in specifics. Hey, hope everything's going well. Hope you're working on this and you've been practicing that we can't do that to the guys. So. You know, it's really kind of just a, a follow-up checkup to see that, you know, they're doing well. And and then just – sorry, for, just real quick. And if um, a player then asks you a question about football, are you allowed to answer that question or do you kind of have to say yeah. – No, we can, Jake, but, but, but we you know, the, the intent should never be that, you know, hey, we're doing yeah. this on purpose. Um, but if a guy does ask you a question, yeah, it's pretty benign. You can answer it. You just can't get into too much detail. So obviously, uh, the league has been affected by COVID, as Dara mentioned, the last couple of seasons. Is there any innovations that you've kept now that everything's uh, free and open again, that uh, kind of a new way of doing things that you've kind of adapted from those COVID protocols? Not necessarily. Um, you know, we, 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 one thing we have learned is those we've got to keep more separation, more spread in the rooms, in the meeting rooms, throughout the facility. Um, and, and to be honest with you, I've, I've captured a lot of, uh, a lot of space, um, of taking it from the business side and kind of said, oh, we need it. So we kind of pass that over to the, uh, to the team. So that's been kind of good, uh, because I, I think one thing here is this facility here is, is, is set really for football only and not business as much. So, you know, we we're really looking to try to take over and dominate the space so we can make this a full football facility. 
obviously during the course of uh, OTAs, obviously coming up mini camps now, big storylines around the league that I think because they're so starved of news stories get a little bit blown up at this time of year is obviously players re-signing, who's holding yep. out, who's not going to be out. We don't necessarily need to go into the details. We know you guys are working behind the scenes in terms of there's a, there's a lot of key players that need to be renegotiated and re-signed. But how do you feel at the moment the team stands in kind of your general plan when you took over this Washington team? Are, are you trending in the right direction? Are you close to kind of fulfilling that plan? Where do you see uh, the progress so far? Okay, first I want to make sure Jake and Dara aren't sharing this information. <laughs> um, I've, got, I've got my own problems coaching my own team at the moment. I'm all right. I feel really good about where we are. I really do. Because the biggest thing is if you look at the trans, the transition and the turnover we've had, we've been able to keep a lot of the guys that we believe are core players. And I'm looking at our board right now. And, and just as you go through it, you sit there and say, man, we, 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 we've done a good job over here. We've done a good job over here. Now we need a little bit more work up here. Um, but one thing we really feel is that, you know, once we can get Terry McLaurin taken care of, get his, 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 his contract redone, we really do believe that we've got a good group of young wide receivers. And we are a young football team. We really are. I mean, our average age is somewhere around 26, 25, somewhere in there. So that's really good for us. And what's happening is the previous two seasons, those guys have played a lot of football, a lot of football. And that's, that's something that's been really, really good. Um, and, and, and as we go through this, we look at, you know, where else do we need to fill in, you know? And, and to Jake's question about, you know, yeah, we got 90. Actually, we have 91 uh, on, our, on our full roster because we have an international player and he doesn't count against your, 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 your overall numbers. Um, and then when we cut down to 53, um, you know, we will have by then gotten all the information we need on the guys. There'll be a couple of really tough decisions because we may be overloaded at one position or the other. But we've also got to be mindful of what the rest of the team needs. And then we keep 16 guys on our practice squad. So we'll finish with 69 total guys by the time we don't, we get done with camp. And, and Coach, I want to mention, uh, look at, because you mentioned in various interviews um, just after the Super Bowl that you wanted to add depth to the QB room. And, and you've certainly done that in this offseason via the draft, of course, with Sam Howell and mm -hmm. uh, uh, through a trade, uh, of course, acquiring Carson Wentz. Um, with Wentz, first of all, um, of course, he was a QB that um, you that the team looked at before. Was this uh, something that you did target heading into this offseason, or was this a sort of opportunity that you couldn't pass up when you heard that um, the right. Colts made him available? No, you know, Darren, it's a very good question because – when the season ended, it, the one thing we felt we really needed to do was we needed to solidify the quarterback position. And we felt if we could find a veteran guy that's had some, some, some experience but has had some success, you know, we'd, be, we'd be in a really good position, and I think we could take the next step. So what I did, I actually went and I visited uh, Coach Gibbs. Joe Gibbs and I sat down. We talked about these things. He kind of gave me a, a little bit of an outline, a little bit of an idea of, 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 of how to go about that process. And so I, I used a lot of it, the, the information he gave me. We went and we did a lot of research on a lot of the quarterbacks that were out there. And the big thing we found was we just got to find guys that were available that would suit us and fit us. Well, when we took the deep dive with Carson, you looked at the experience he had, you look at the success he had throughout his career. And you can't deny that in 2016, okay, um, you know, the dude had a great year. He just, just had a phenomenal year, you know, and, and, and then – the, 20, the, the year they won the Super Bowl, the 2017 season, they were 11 and, uh, was 11 and 2. 
before he before he got hurt. And he was on track to be the league MVP. So then you go back and you look at what he did last year. On up until he got COVID in week in week 16 and 17, he had COVID. And you sit there and go, wow, he was really playing great. And then the last two weeks, he, he had a little bit of struggle. They had a little bit of struggle. But if you got past those two and looked at the whole thing, you said, wow, this guy really. And then you look at his numbers, and he's in top 10 in almost every category. So he was somebody that, that there we, we, we looked at, we mapped out. And like you said, once we found out the availability, we went after it and, 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 and tried to secure him as our quarterback. You, you mentioned those numbers. Were you surprised that he was even available? Obviously, you mentioned it was a little bit difficult, but winning winning record, 9-8, and 27-7 mm-hmm. and seven touchdowns interceptions, top 10 yep. for touchdowns thrown. Yep. It seems really weird that he was even on the block. Well, I think there, there's, there was a little bit of philosophical difference amongst mm-hmm. them in the building. You know, and, and, and sometimes when those things happen, uh, you know, it really depends on who's on what side as to who's going to win out. And and so it worked. it worked for us. That's what I'm happy about. And then being able to have uh, Sam Howell and draft him in the fifth round, coupled with, with Taylor, we really feel we've solidified the quarterback position for ourselves. Coach, you're well known for uh, being really involved in the NFL in terms of uh, inclusivity and diversity. Uh, the last couple of weeks you were in with an NFL committee trying to work on the kind of diversity rules that they have to try and uh, increase diversity and, and persuade teams to be more involved Obviously, you've also been really involved in in getting women into the NFL, and, and we're starting to see that trickle through of mm-hmm. women being involved in full time coaching roles. How important is that to you, and how how much do you believe that the NFL can really grow by by including these uh, well, these new rules? I think the the biggest thing about inclusion is is if you include everybody, you've now increased the pool, the size of 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 your candidates. And you can pick the best one. And, and it doesn't matter whether they're a man or a woman. Um, I did this one year with my coaches just to make a point. We were looking to hire somebody. And I was looking at the resumes of the, of the top three candidates. And I kept noticing that the one guy, there was one guy that had this unbelievable resume. But he was the one that everybody, not just everybody, but a number of the guys just, they, they, they weren't sure about. I looked at the other two guys and they lacked the experience. So what I did was I took the names off the resume. I changed the teams that they had worked for. Okay. I, I did. I did. And then I, I put the resumes out and I said, guys, has anybody looked at the resume? They said, no, we haven't. We haven't seen the resumes. And I said, okay, great. I said, these are the three resumes. I want you guys to take a look at these three resumes and tell me what you think. And the first thing they'll say is, wow, this one has a lot of experience. I said, exactly. I said, and now look at what he's done. I think, oh, my gosh, God, he was the coordinator here. He was a coordinator over here. This was his record. Wow, they had these rankings. And then look at the other guys. Well, he's only been a coordinator. No, he's only been a coordinator once over here. So, And they said, well, if – and I said, so if you were going to make a decision, how would you do it? I said, well, I'd go over here. And I said, okay, that's very interesting, very, very interesting, because it was the one that, that was getting the least amount of attention. And at the end of the day, that's the guy who, who we ended up hiring only because – you know, it was a blind draw. They, they, they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't look at anything and say, okay, you know, I, I don't like who this guy is. You know what I'm saying? But they couldn't because everything pointed to, and this guy has been a great coach in the league. So I'm fine with that. But to me, if we did that to all the candidates that come in, you would find out that you would be hiring a few more women. 
you'd be hiring a few more other minority people as opposed to just being homogenous and being the same group all the time. So that's why I think in inclusion is very important. Secondly, I do think that, you know, if 50% of your, of your population is, are women um, and they have a lot of buying power, um, you know, they have a lot of economic power, you're going to want to play to them a little bit too as well. So you want to make sure that people like them are being given opportunities. And that's why I do it more so than anything else. Heck, probably the, um, probably one of the most powerful people in this building is my, my chief of staff and she's a woman. Um, and she's been tremendous and she understands and gets, you know, how we do things. And that's one of the things that you got to understand is that, you know, it's, it's just, people just got to understand if you have people that are qualified, hire them. And that's kind of how I've always felt about it. I guess that's the ultimate goal of the rule, right? We, yes. It's not necessarily about forcing anything. It's to make sure the best guy gets the best job or girl gets the lands, the position and, and making sure the talent is there and not looking at any of the kind of more superficial stuff that comes along with it. Well, I'll tell you this in 2015, when I was a head coach of the Carolina Panthers and we went to the Super Bowl. at my Super Bowl press conference, somebody raised their hand and, 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 and asked me this question. Coach, do you know you have the most diversified coaching staff in the NFL? And do you do that intentionally? And I was surprised. I said, no, I had no idea I had the most diverse. He said, well, you do. And look at where you are. I said, wow, I appreciate that. I said, but I'll be honest with you. When I hired my staff, I only hired who I thought were the best fits for us. They were qualified, but they fit us. They believed in the same things I did. And that's how I did it. And it really worked out in a very positive way. So I've always kind of thought that way, I guess, that it's about hiring the, the, the best people that fit the best. Yeah. Uh, Coach, I want to ask actually a little bit about, um, you, you talked a little bit about your time at, at the Panthers, but there's, there's a story that I've, I've seen you tell and um, you've probably told it a thousand of times, and I'm, so I'm sorry to make you tell it again. But um, we recently lost, obviously, the great John Madden earlier this year. Yes. Uh, he had a pretty significant impact on your uh, coaching career and even um, how we came to know you as, of course, Riverboat Ron. And I, I'm wondering if you don't mind telling the story about how uh, John Madden impacted your coaching career. Well, you know, um, after my first two years as a head coach in Carolina, I had the dubious distinction of being three and 13 in games that were decided by six points or less. And when I finished that year out and talking with my previous owner, one of the things that he had suggested to me was that I find a mentor. And he said, look, I know John Madden very well. And I know that if you call him, coach would probably want to help you out. And I said, sure. So I called coach Madden. We had a great conversation. And I said, coach, I'm looking for a mentor, somebody to help me kind of take the next step. Cause I feel I'm on the precipice of, of, of going to the next level. I just need some help. He said, sure. He said, come see me. He said, but before you come see me, I want you to do a little homework for yourself. He said, I want you to go out and I want you to look at those 13 games that you lost by six points or less. I want you to go out. I want you to do a report, figure out what you could have done better. I said, okay. So made arrangements. This is the off season. I was going to go out and see him in February, late February. So I went to work. I watched those 13 games and I wrote up a report about what happened and how things went, you know, and, and in one game I can remember writing, okay, you know, got into this situation. It was fourth and one and a half to go. We're up by three and decide to go ahead and kick. And the thing I remember about that was I'd gone by the book. Okay. Book says, Hey, you kick the field goal, take your chances. Okay. So we go back 
I finished, I got this nice 20 page report on all these games and I'm figuring, okay, I'm gonna show it to coach. So I go out there, I sit down, we're talking and coach says, and I said to coach, I said, Hey, I, I did that report. You asked me to do about the, the 13 games lost by six points or less. And then I said, report. So I pull it out of my, my backpack and he goes, well, what's that? I said, well, that's for you. He said, no, no, it's not for me. It was for you. What did you learn? I said, well, I was doing things by the book. He goes, looks at me, goes, what book? I said, well, you know, I, I, I did, you know, I, I, I did, I did what you're supposed to do. And the more we talked, you know, the, the more I began to realize I mean, he's trying to make a point. And I said, well, I, I don't get it. He goes, Ron, you've played enough football. You've coached enough football to know what to do. He said, take this game, for instance. And I said, I looked at it, I said, yeah. I said, coach, we're up by three. We're driving. We get down to their 26, and it was a yard and a half to go. And I, I opted to go ahead and kick the field goal to go up by six. He said, yeah, but touchdown still beats you, doesn't it? And I said, yeah. He goes, he goes you know, you could have ended it if you had gotten the first down. I said, yeah, I, I could have. And it made me realize that I was doing what was safe, not what was right. You know what I mean? You know, because a lot of people don't want to take those chances, take that mm -hmm. risk. So I, I did. I did what was safe. So he made his point. So coming to the next year, I, I, I started going for it on fourth downs. We were playing New York at home. I went for it on fourth downs. We converted on our first series twice and scored a touchdown and went on and won the game. Then we go out to Minnesota, did the same thing. Opening drive, we go all the way down, we get fourth down. I go for it on fourth down. We score the touchdown. Okay, win. And what I began to see was the amount of confidence the players were gaining because I was believing in them. And so what happened was after about three games of doing that, somebody said to, to you know, put it out in the media, you know, a, a, a tweet. He goes, boy. Coach Rivera has been going for it on fourth down like a riverboat gambler. <laughs> so somebody else put together this picture of me in a in a in a uh, in a in a riverboat cowboy outfit, you know, sitting on a riverboat, and called me Riverboat Ron. Well, my daughter, while she was away in college, she saw that, thought it was kind of cute, so she retweeted it. So now I'm in a press conference, and somebody says to me, "says Coach, so what do you think about?" being known as Riverboat Ron. I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, there, you know, that, that somebody said that, you know, Coach Rivera is going for it on fourth down like a riverboat gambler. I said, really? He said, oh, yeah, even your daughter agrees. I said, what? And they pull out their cell phones. And they go, say, oh, look, it's on her Twitter page. And I looked, you know, so as soon as I got done with my press conference, I called my wife and said, did you know what your daughter did? You got to talk to her. And so that's how it all came about. That's how I got the nickname Riverboat Ron because the coach had getting me to realize that when you do these things, you make these decisions, you got to rely on your experience as well, not just on uh, what's safe. But Ron, we thoroughly enjoyed the chat so far. Have you got a couple of minutes just for a couple of last questions, or do you? Yeah, need to I, got, I got a couple more minutes. I, I, um, I got just a couple run. of quick, just a sure. couple of quick questions. The lads have. Coach, I just wanted to ask you, just could you speak a little bit on your transition from playing? Obviously, you were selected in uh, in 1984 as a linebacker for the Bears, and then your transition into coaching. Do you think that helped kind of mold you as the coach you are? I think it did. A lot of it has to do with the way I grew up. I grew up. My dad was in the United States military, so I, I grew up with a lot of discipline and understanding a chain of command. Uh, then I played for Mike Dicko, who was a very tough, hard-nosed guy, as well as Buddy Ryan, who was a very tough, hard-nosed guy. Um, but the one thing about my opportunity of have being a player was that 
I, you know, I experienced it. So when I talk about doing things to our players, it's about really being the, 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 the voice of experience. You can't get something over me because I've been there. I've seen it or I've done it. And so that's what I tell our, our players is, hey, look, I played the game, so I get it. I understand it. doesn't mean I'm any better or any smarter than the other coach. It just gives me the same perspective that you have. And I think that has helped me. And the biggest thing I had to get used to from being a player to being a coach is that I was not a player anymore. I was now a coach and I had to look at things from a different perspective. Yeah, coach, I want to ask finally, um, you're speaking about your, your playing career and you uh, during your time in the NFL, you had um, one touchdown scored against yeah. the Detroit Lions. And my question for that is, was it a fumble or an incomplete pass? It sure looked like a fumble to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there it's way too late to change it. So, Rob, well, before yeah, we let you go, uh, one last question. Obviously, uh, we all know now at this point that uh, Washington Commanders have put down a hundred million dollars for some land out there in Virginia, and you've talked a little bit about the the development that's going on. How are your plans looking for your fantastic office? I presume at least half of that budget is going towards your panoramic view and maybe some flat screen TVs and a fantastic couch and stuff like that. You know what? Too bad I can't. You know, I might be able to turn this. You guys got to see my office. It, it is actually a lot bigger than I, than I anticipated. So over this side, there's the panoramic. You can see everything throughout the practice field. And then you can obviously see my chief of staff, Natalia. She's sitting there. Okay. So that's that. If I turn you to the other side, you can see my gigantic flat screen uh, uh, that I use to watch practice tape, and that's over there in that corner. That thing's a uh, that's an eighty incher right there, buddy. So yeah, it's a it's a pretty good setup. Um, so believe me, we'll have something like that in the new facility wherever it is, whether it be in Virginia, Maryland, or the D.C. area. Fantastic. So will well, our uh, podcast studio be next to your office, or is it further <laughs> down the hall? <laughs> <laughs> that'd be down the hall because that's where they'll have the studio they have it oh set. that's all right fantastic that's okay. well rod thanks a million for your time we have thoroughly enjoyed our chat we had a great time we really do mean it. if you are in ireland you need anything sorted a few drinking buddies or anything else uh recommendations for pub please do hit us up we'd be absolutely delighted to to help you out point you in the right okay. direction what i am going to do guys is i will reach out to you and let you know when we're going to be there that way we can get together i would love to be able to at least touch bases with you guys and then um have a, have a drink just to really appreciate you guys. Um, you know, this is the second time I've been on your podcast and I've really enjoyed our conversations. All right. Well, thanks a million, Ron. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks, fellas. And that's all from us here at the under center podcast. Please do follow us on Instagram and Twitter at under center pod. You can also find this podcast on YouTube under center podcast and the audio version is available. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcast, just search Under Center Podcast. From myself and all the lads, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again next week.